Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 68, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL, as always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? You didn't say what number episode it was. I said it was 68. I yelled 68. Were you not listening to me? Usually it's me that's not that's not listening to you. Wait, 68? No, it's not. It's like 65 or something. No, 67 was the one with Evan Silva yesterday. By the way, if you haven't heard that, go back and take a listen to that. Evan Silva from Roto World joined us for episode 67. This is episode 68. Ben is buying time because he can't find a... Jordan Mailata, Jordan Mailata, please. (laughs) Happy Jordan Mailata. So we've finally gotten out of that nasty area in the 60s where there were no active players with those numbers, and I was just making stuff up. Called an offensive, a linebacker and offensive lineman because I have no idea who he was or when he played. I literally was just Googling him on the fly. People were very upset with me. Mike, every day is a good day to be alive, buddy. Eagles are playing the Saints. How are you doing? I am doing well. Yeah, the Eagles are gearing up for their divisional round matchup with New Orleans Saints. Big rematch from week 11. Today's topic of the show, the main topic is going to be, we're going to preview the Eagles off. I did it again, Ben. Every week. Every time. Every time. Do we change the order that much or no? I feel like we get into a rhythm of four or five weeks and then suddenly we go, I want to watch the Bears defense first. And then like we'll switch well, I, it Yeah, up. I feel like I feel like <laughs> when, when a team has an elite unit, we want to watch that one first. Yeah. Because like we definitely did Houston defense first. Right. And then we're doing Saints offense first. So I feel like that's kind of what decides it. Yeah. So this preview is going to be the Saints offense against the Philadelphia Eagles defense. On the next preview show, we'll flip that. We'll do the Eagles offense against the Saints defense. So keeping it with the Saints offense for today. Nailed that first take as always. But first, obviously, some house cleaning to do. Now, we are recording on a Thursday morning. So we're still working with the Wednesday estimated injury report or walkthroughs or whatever the case was. So this may be a little outdated, but we are going to use this as kind of a guideline because there are some talking points to talk about within these injury reports. On Wednesday, did not participate for the Eagles. Michael Bennett, he really isn't practicing all that much this time of the year. That's fine. I would not expect him to miss any time. Carson Wentz, obviously with the back. Limited participation. DJ Alexander and that hamstring on every single injury report. So we'll see if he plays or not. Wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey dealing with some ribs. Sidney Jones with his hamstring, of course. Offensive tackle Jason Peters with his quadricep. He's been on every one of these injury reports for the entire year as well. What's the phrase? What's the Spartan phrase? Come back with your shield or on it. That's how Jason Peters is going to lead the game of football. Come, so, come back on your shield, right? Yeah, come back with your shield or on it. Oh, so like either alive or dead. Yeah. 
Uh, Golden Tate is dealing with a knee knock and wide receiver Mike Wallace still trying to come back from his ankle injury. Pretty standard fare here, Ben. Anything to add on the injury side for the Eagles? No, nothing I can think of. Uh, They've talked about Sidney Johnson week to week. I don't anticipate him coming back. I don't anticipate putting an even remotely gimpy Sidney Jones out there against the Saints. We saw what happened against Dallas. And the Saints last time when he was gimpy, yeah. Right. There was actually somebody, this has been a a topic that's been discussed in all the various um, iterations of it in terms of if Carson Wentz is healthy and how healthy he is and what the future of the playoffs could look like this year if Carson's healthy. We had... um, Greg Doris, at Greg Doris, who is a, um, he's a writer for the uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and for the Get Hard Show, who's listening to the podcast, shout out Greg, uh, said that he has a take, uh, Carson could play through back injury right now. Doug is using doctors and a precautionary approach to shield 11 from feeling like he got benched for Foles, if Foles is hurting Eagles win against Saints, Wentz plays week after, which... I'm not sure if it would be exactly the week after. I mean, probably it would be, actually, because it's an NFC Championship game. Yeah, but honestly, like, I, I think there's a very, very good shot that, like, Carson still could play, and they're just going to keep him in the cooler because, I mean, obviously they haven't deactivated him, but they're going to keep him in the cooler because the worst possible thing you could do in terms of managing this roster into 2019 is win in the playoffs with Foles, have Foles get injured, have Carson come in and lose the next game. That is literally that's DEFCON four. That is that is all red alert. Yeah. Because you've you have painted yourself into the worst corner in that situation. So I don't anticipate we'll see Carson at all this playoff, honestly. I think if the Super Bowl's on the line, maybe they make a push and they get him out there healthy, but even then you're risking so, so much if he loses. Now my problem with that theory is that it posits that perhaps he was benched because they wanted to bench him and they knew about the injury and it wasn't worse or anything like that. After week 14, even though they lost to the Cowboys, where the offense never got to get their hands on the ball, Carson Wentz played a really good football game that game. Well, for the second half of that football game. First half was bad. But overall, and at the same time, I mean, that was the defense's loss in overtime. Third and second and 19, third and nine, not being able to get off the field. The offense never got a chance. But look, regardless of all that, there are a lot of different scenarios that are going to lead to uh, media heads talking about different controversies with the quarterback situation. Here's how I've been dealing with it all week. We're playing the New Orleans Saints. Nick Foles is our quarterback, and that's how I'm operating. So we'll cross that crazy, crazy bridge when we get there, obviously. You know, I don't have a whole lot of interest in talking about mm-hmm. that right now. We're focused on the Saints. What's more likely, in my opinion, mm. Foles drives down the field. Oh, boy. Generates a five-point lead, but on the play in which he does it against the Rams in the L.A. Coliseum, he gets injured. Nate Sudfeld comes in, <laughs> defense tightens up, they score a field goal on the drive, they end up winning by eight, I don't know, maybe 43-35, a score like that or something. Mm. And then Sudfeld wins the NFC Championship game against the Cowboys, and Sudfeld wins the Super Bowl. And now the Eagles have <laughs> two separate Super Bowl MVP quarterbacks on the roster, as well as Carson Wentz. The top three quarterbacks in the NFC East. Isn't that a storyline? So I was, I was actually, I was thinking about this, which this is not the topic of the show, but I was playing around with this in my head because it's fun. My father's favorite thing to do in the entire world is to tell me that Eli Manning is a Hall of Fame quarterback because it gets under my skin so easily. Yeah. Right? Like he's totally just screwing with me. So Eli is a, a Hall of Fame quarterback in heavy air quotes. Let's say Foles wins 
this Super Bowl. Right. Nothing. The whole argument. Nothing about Eli Manning's resume will be stronger than Nick Foles. And no one in their right mind would put Nick, put Nick Foles in the Hall of Fame, at least at this, as we currently understand his career. Even if he wins two Super Bowls, he would not make it to the Hall of Fame. So there's no way you could convince anybody with a rational mind that Eli making it to the Hall of Fame is a product of anything other than his last name. Yeah. But if Foles wins this Super Bowl, the only leg on which Eli stands can continue to stand is the Super Bowl wins right now. Two over one for Eli Manning. And so if Foles wins this Super Bowl, Foles is probably going to have better career stats, better rate stats, and he's going to have more the same number of Super Bowl wins. So just if, I, if Foles... <laughs> Of all his accomplishments, if yeah. Foles is able to submarine the Hall of Fame bit of Eli Manning by virtue of comparison, then he will go down and they will, they'll put a statue of him next to Rocky. I want to stay with this for a second because our friend Justice Mosqueda at OptimumScouting.com recently released an article, I think it was about five days ago. The title is Quantifying the Best Playoff Quarterback Since the Merger. And what he did was he took defense-adjusted yards per attempt value for all these playoff quarterbacks since the merger, and then he ranked them. Eli Manning right now ranks 30th. Nick Foles ranks 27th. Right now, Nick, <laughs> like, I mean, that just goes to your argument right there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, again, like, you know, if you are going based off of the typical Hall signifiers, which tend to be rate stats and career accomplishments, yeah, right? Nick Foles is going to have more records than Eli Manning. He's probably, like, right now, he's going to have, he has better rate stats. And then if he just has the same degree of playoff success, like if he loses next week, he's four and two in the playoffs with a Super Bowl win. That's still great playoff success, right? But if he pushes that to like another Super Bowl berth, yeah. So I push that to another Super Bowl win, then wow. there's not a single <laughs> right. So that's just something I was thinking about for fun because when I can't sleep at night, I come up with ways to uh, <laughs> to cannon Eli Manning's Hall of Fame bid. That's pretty much how I pass my time. I like that. I want to I want to plug this article a little bit more to the the top quarterback of all time in the playoffs. I'll just run through the list real quick. Joe Montana, number one. Kurt Warner, number two. I love that. Three is Tom Brady. Four, Kenny Stabler. Five, Drew Brees, who we're going to play be playing this week. That's a bad omen. Oh, great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll just do a, a few more. Terry Bradshaw came in at number six, which I was surprised by it because everyone thinks like he just got by on a, on a really good defense and whatnot. But he balls out in the playoffs, followed by Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, John Elway, Brett Favre. Those are your top ten. I thought it was a really interesting way – to look at playoff quarterbacks. So I highly recommend that article. Hopefully Nick Foles can move himself up that list in the playoffs this year. Let's get to the Eagles side, or excuse me, let's get to the let's get to the Saints side of this injury report because there's there's some notes yeah. here. They they're coming off a bye. They rested their starters week 17. They still got limited participation from a lot of their offensive linemen. That's offensive tackle Jermon Bushrod with a hamstring, offensive tackle Teron Armstead with a peck which he tore back in week 10, if I'm not mistaken, and then returned in week 16. He was all right, not his elite level self, because he was playing like an upper echelon tackle before he tore his pack in week 10. Offensive tackle Ryan Ramchek is still dealing with a shoulder injury. Offensive guard Larry Warford with a knee. Andrus Pete with a hand. That's a ton of offensive linemen that are banged up That's on this That's the whole unit. offensive line. Right, exactly. Uh, everyone except Max Unger. That's it. Every Everyone outside of him dealing with some sort of injury. And we've seen some drop-off in their play, which we can talk about. Also on the defensive side, Alex Okafor mm -hmm. dealing with a knee full participation. And we definitely have to talk about this guy. Wide receiver Ted Ginn Jr. dealing with a knee knock. And then safety Chris Banjo, don't even know who that is. He is dealing with a knee. The reason I wanted to touch on Ted Ginn real quick, and we'll kind of transition into the Saints offense versus Eagles defense preview here, is Ben, I know you just got done watching the film 
on the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New Orleans Saints. And I kind of wanted your perspective because I know what I think on how you think Ted Ginn changes this offense a little bit and how they wanted to use him when he returned. What were they, what were they looking for from him in his return? Well, when you talk about Ted Ginn, obviously the number one thing you're going to be discussing is the ability to take the top off a of defense and the ability to draw safeties because he has fantastic deep speed. And if you look at the general way that the Saints offense is constructed, uh, number one, and if I'm like 90% sure and I brought this up on the uh, the first podcast where we previewed these guys. This is a, a Saints team with a top two MVP candidate in Drew Brees that is producing at an amazing rate. They run the ball the fourth most out of the league. Yeah. They run the ball the fourth most frequently, right? And so how is this Saints offense constructed? Number one, it wants to run the football, which, again, is not is, is a little confounding, but it's what they want to do. Uh, it's how they very op- start a lot of their drives. First and 10 is going to be runs a ton of the time, and they're going to do it out of 12 personnel. They're going to do it out of 21 personnel. That's often going to put Breeze on our center, which means that their passing game is very much so a five to seven step drop passing game, often with play action attached to it because it's coming from under center. And that's that's a, a crucial thing to understand for how Philadelphia is going to win this game is that the Saints like to run their offense out from under center in a lead that's very heavily shotgun oriented. That leads to super deep drops for Drew Brees, especially because he has to hang back deep in the pocket because he is short, right? Mm. Like being short is fine. You can be a quarterback and be short and it's cool. But because you're short, they're not going to have him like, you know, Carson Wentz takes like a three-step drop, plants and stands there because Carson's 6'4 and he's a bit of an idiot. Drew Brees <laughs> is going to take well, yeah, Carson, like we, we talked about this. this is a problem. Carson needs to learn how to manage a pocket. It's his flaw. His feet get stuck a little bit, and he kind of regressed in that area this year. Idiot's a bit strong, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Breeze is going to take those deep drops, and, and it's going to be like 45-degree sets from his tackles, and he's going to have a lot of space in front of him to hitch and throw because that seven-step drop is just going to be timed with intermediate crossers, intermediate dig, intermediate out, intermediate curl route, very often, those intermediate routes crossing underneath just clear out routes. And that's what you're going to get from Ted Ginn. You're going to get a ton of just vertical push, whether it's up the seam or on the outside, in terms of generating space in the intermediate level for Breeze to just drop rainbows and buckets. Just yeah. absolute teardrops in terms of the intermediate level. It's the strength of his game. Now, Ginn will, is not exclusively a decoy obviously the, the saints love shallow crossers and Ginn is a great guy to hit in stride on a shallow crosser because he can really turn on the jets and go win a corner so if the saints find themselves in a situation where they think they're going to get man coverage especially like a man coverage blitz cover one cover zero which they know they will get out of philadelphia especially in third and medium third and long situations they're going to be very fine to leave Ginn backside Run out of shotgun, mm-hmm. let the Eagles bring six, throw it right over the top of the zone, and see if Ginn can outrace Russell Douglas. He can. Yeah. Uh, to the first down marker, right? Like, that's that, that that's going to be a very easy free yardage. You saw them take that again. I think it's the Panthers a great deal when they knew they were getting man out of the Panthers, which wasn't frequent. And then against the, the Steelers, they were getting man coverage with linebackers over Michael Thomas. I mean, the Steelers had no clue what they were doing, but that's a different matter entirely. So I think those are going to be the two ways that you see Ted Ginn get used. Uh, his depth of target is going to be inflated because he's going to get those super downfield shots, but mostly it's create space for intermediate crossers and then use as a shallow crosser yak sort of a guy. That was my read. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, right out of the gate, I think it was pretty obvious what they wanted to do with Ginn, and they wanted to get downfield shots. The first half of the season, this team ranked in, in, towards the bottom of the league in deep ball frequency. 
But, I mean, my notes pretty much line up with what you're saying. One of the notes I, I had was three-man vertical route combinations. And one of those guys is coming underneath those routes. And what they like to do with two of those guys is stack those releases and then get one in-breaking, get one out-breaking. Uh, so they're definitely looking for, again, to either clear stuff out or they're making him a primary target, whether it be on a switch vertical release or on the backside, like you said, with a vertical route. They want to be a vertical team. They can't take the stuff underneath that if the vertical shot isn't there. But what we're seeing... That again, dynamic adds a little bit more to that deep passing game, so they can be dangerous in that regard. So definitely good points uh, on that. They really wanted to take shots to Ginn in that Pittsburgh Steelers game, so he adds a new dynamic that we had not seen in the Week 11 matchup with them. Now, speaking of Breeze, and no disrespect to an all-time great who I think still has the juice, but I kind of covered this on the QB Sco Show with Mark Schofield coming out. Also have Seth Galina as a guest on guest on that one as well. That'll be released later today, but. Weeks 1 through 12 compared to weeks 13 to 17 paint very different pictures. Breeze went from leading the league in completion percentage and QB rating to seeing a drop of 7% in completions, shaved off 2.2 yeah. yards per attempt, which is massive. And an even bigger number, his quarterback rating drops 43 points all the way down to 84.7. That's not a dip in play. That's falling off a cliff in terms of efficiency and effectiveness. They went from 5th in explosive passing plays to 21st. They've been made much less dangerous, but here's the question. The NFL season is a roller coaster. We all know that. It's Is that a short-lived blip, that area that I'm talking about, for a legend like Breeze, or can it continue? Now, I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you this. Ben, if you remember back in Week 2, Ryan Fitzpatrick had a big day on us and got rid of the ball in lightning speed. And I charted this to prove a point about how it wasn't the pass rush that was the problem, not even close to it. It was the coverage that let the Eagles down. So I charted every drop back, and what I was looking for were dropbacks from Ryan Fitzpatrick where the ball got out within one hitch after the natural drop. The number I came right. to was 71%. That's a lot. That's high. Now, Pro Football Focus charted the Eagles with a pressure rate of 37, which is high. Top 10 on the week. If you get that number every week, you're handing out bonus checks to a lot of guys in the front four, but it didn't matter because the pressure didn't move Fitzpatrick from the spot and the coverage didn't discourage him from getting rid of the ball at the top of his drop. He was free to wheel and deal and not take hits. His quarterback rating under pressure was 136.4 on the day. That was third best of the week. Fast forward, week 11, I charted this. Drew Brees, against the Eagles, under less pressure than what we saw the Eagles apply to Fitzpatrick with a patchwork secondary getting beat like a drum. Ben, take a guess right. at what percentage of dropbacks Breeze took that were delivered within one hitch of the top of his natural drop against the Eagles in Week 11. 63. 77%. That's more than 63. <laughs> Jiminy Christmas. That's seven-ninths! That's huge. That's enormous. His quarterback rating under pressure, and this is this is kind of the point I'm getting to here. When they did get pressure, 105.2. Again, third best on the day. And here's the last example, Ben. Dallas against the Saints, week 13. 37% pressure rate on Breeze. The exact same numbers that the Eagles had against Fitzpatrick in week two and still got torched, except the Cowboys right. moved Breeze off the line. That frequency of throwing from within one hitch of the drop dips to 60%, and his quarterback rating was 69. Now, why is that? It's the coverage. This time of the year, especially with Brady in the playoffs, or really any quarterback, you're going to hear the talking point that pressure is the way to a quarterback's heart if you want to rip it out. And there is some truth to that. 
Pressure negatively impacts quarterbacks some more than others for sure. You're going to see the magic number thrown around, 40%. 40% pressure rate. You're going to hear it all the time. We heard it in the lead up to the Super Bowl last year. It is lazy. Pressure does not matter if you do not have the coverage at the top of the route. The Eagles have to force Breeze off his line with pressure, but just as important, they have to force Breeze off his first two reads, not one, two, because you're dealing with a fast processor here, and he can get to the second read by the top right. of his drop. You have to get him off those reads with coverage. And I point this out to tackle a narrative that I believe to be garbage, which is part of my brand that I have cultivated here on BGN. But I also point it out as something that gives some hope because this secondary isn't the secondary from week 11, and the coverage deployments aren't the same coverage deployments as week two. And and to me, crucially, the defensive tackles aren't the same as they were in week 11. Correct. So interior pressure to move him off the line, boom. Listen, a brother can't hit if there's pressure up the middle, and that's huge, right? <laughs> and so I, firstly, let, let's, let, I want to break down what you said because that's stellar work. The reason that like I think the the Tampa Bay Fitzpatrick thing even applies so much more to what you're seeing from New Orleans and Sean Payne is if you remember back in week two when we were playing the Buccaneers when they were like weirdly good at the beginning of the season, Todd Monken was calling plays, offensive coordinator, and Monken comes from the air raid background, uh, Oklahoma State, Southern Miss. Peyton also has air raid aspects to his game. And his Peyton's strength as a coordinator has always been merging air raid ideas with the West Coast offense. And so there's not as big a disparity between the Bucks offense under Monken in week two and the Saints general offense this year, as there is between just like two general NFL offenses. They're actually like close in terms of how they'd like to be executed. Um, you're, you're like, you know, we bring it up shotgun under center. You're going to be more shotgun the, the, for the Bucks or whatever. But the, the top of the drop, hitch and throw, spread. Ah, I shouldn't really say spread because New Orleans like to go condense multiple yeah. vertical route stems in the same area. There you go. That that air raid style idea. That's those are very analogous between the two offenses, and, and so they're going to execute in similar ways. Now, when you look at why there was the fall off for Breeze in the last four games he's played, thirteen through sixteen, there's three reasons that I think all kind of come together. Number one, offensive line is clearly quite beat up. Yep. When your offensive line is beat up, there's more pressure. And pressure is a problem. We're going to get back to that. That's how Philadelphia is going to win. Number two, teams began to key in on tendencies for the, the Saints, allowed them to take away the intermediate. He wants the intermediate. He does not want deep. Don't take the cheese. He wants intermediate. Allowed them to take that away, to wall that off, to stay sticky with it in man coverage, Force Breeze to hold on to the ball for a half second longer. That brings him to his check down far quicker. Mike, his his intended air yards by next gen stats have dropped off significantly yeah. in these past few weeks three of the last four weeks he's, he's played have been three of his five lowest weeks in terms of intended air yards yep. so he so the depth of target is going down and then three is just simply a guy who was unfathomably accurate for the first 12 weeks of the season, is starting to crash down to earth. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. Breeze, who was by even his own standards having an ungodly season, yeah. has begun to look more human. And like, that's just, you know, like the attrition of the season, plus also regression to the mean. Like, you just can't keep up. 77%, 8.8 yards per attempt, 127.4 quarterback rating. That's not, just, I don't care who you right, are. Right, that's inhuman, and it, <laughs> there's a reason it doesn't happen every season, right? So I think those are the three things. Now, you can't, you know, we said, like, do we expect that to be a blip? Well, if it is a blip, this is when it changes. Because he just had two weeks off. Three weeks, 
No, two weeks off because you have the week 17 and then you have the bye. Right. That's a good opportunity to reset. And it's a good opportunity to come back out on the field and kind of, you know, new season, playoffs, whatever. You can't really control if Breeze decides to go superhuman, right? That's like, this is, you know, it's this <laughs> That's Breeze up to God. superhuman. He's an MVP <laughs> candidate. What you can control is going to be taking away the first reads so that pressure arrives, number one, and number two is pressure. And as we discussed, this Saints passing attack wants to throw the football from under center. If they're if they're in shotgun, it's quick game. If they're in shotgun, it's double slants. If they're yeah. in shotgun, it's snag. If they're in shotgun, it's smash seven to the weak side, right? Yeah. It's like everything we saw from Chicago's very spread-heavy attack, right? Yeah. It's just going to be... You know, uh, it's going to be a triangle read with two short routes, one intermediate route. Breeze is deadly accurate, and he's got a wicked quick release, and then he can nickel and dime you out of the shotgun. But that's not what they want to do because they don't like to run the ball out of shotgun. And this offense wants to run the ball. I can't emphasize that enough. They want to run the football. <laughs> Eagles' run defense is very good, Mike. It was really bad against the Saints in Week 11. Oh, yeah. And the, one of the big reasons was because you had Fletcher Cox, T.Y. McGill, who yeah. actually was playing in that game. I'm positive. <laughs> and Trayvon Hester. And Hester wasn't playing – Hester's playing solid lately. Hester wasn't playing solid in the beginning. I wouldn't even say Hester's playing solid lately. To me, that's still too charitable. But whatever. He's playing less snaps, and that means there's less bad snaps, which, cool. How dare you slander Trayvon Hester on this show again? Listen! The fingers. The fingers. Look it, at these fingers. It was just, listen. Go ahead. <laughs> there's a reason he's playing special teams, Mike. Like, I'm I, just saying. I know, Ben. Anyway. <laughs> The presence of Timmy Jernigan and Haloti Nod is going to help. Number one, it's going to take away the rushing attack. The Saints run in a ton of different ways on you. They like to do a multitude of things. Uh, and they like to they'll, – they'll run zone weak when they'll go unbalanced formations and run zone weak, by the way, which Philadelphia should freaking take that in a heartbeat. I love that. Um, they'll run G lead. They'll run crack toss, especially with, with Alvin Kamara. They want to get him out in space. We know this. But if – Andrews Pete can't go and Ryan Ramchick can't go, which right now, you know, we're looking at a situation where Max Unger, who probably is their best lineman, is obviously healthy, but you've got the potential for Andrews Pete, who's currently listed as questionable not to play, Ryan Ramchick, questionable not to play, Jerron Bushrod, questionable not to play, Jerron Armstead, questionable not to play. If they can't get, especially Ramchick and Pete out there, they can't do as much of their polling as they want to. Because they do not have the athletes to continue to do it. Correct. And so that's going to force them to run significantly more up the middle with Ingram rather than their space plays with Kamara. That was a problem for Philadelphia in the last game. But in this game, you have a significantly improved interior of the line. I anticipate that to go better for Philadelphia than it did. That's going to force the Saints into longer passing down situations. When they're in those is when they're going to go to their intermediate deep passing attack, which comes from under center, comes from under center. Why? Because they want to run the ball. Comes from under center. (laughs) And that means Breeze is hard play action where he's putting his back to the defense. He's taking five to seven step drops, and he's going to be deep in the pocket. Number one, that's Chris Long. Chris Long loves to go to the peak of the pocket and force quarterbacks back up into the rush. Breeze is not super mobile. So Chris Long, nine technique, and his weird little two-point stance that I don't really get. (laughs) Right around the right tackle, baby. If Ramchick's not playing, let's freaking go. Gas up. Chris Long around the outside. You get Michael Bennett, Timmy Jernigan, and Fletcher Cox as your three primary interior rushers. You get Brandon Graham in there and you leave somebody else on the outside, whether that's, you know, Deshaun Hall. I don't even care. And you're able to get to Breeze's seven-step drop. You're able right. to get to his peak when he gets there and you force him up. You keep him out of a throwing position. This line will not hold up that long. With the injuries that's occurred... It will not hold up that long, and you can get interior pressure. You can hit him on throws and generate turnovers. You can get sacks. It's going to be a race to the peak 
of the pocket. I think it's a huge Chris Long game. I think it's a massive Chris Long, who's, who's been a little bit quieter this year, is Philadelphia's Brandon Graham likes to go inside. Michael Bennett likes to go inside. Josh Sweat is injured. Derek Barnett is injured. Chris Long is the best, like, outside track rusher yeah, right. in terms of getting to the outside peak of the pocket. You need a on like Chris Long on third and long needs to just be nine technique and race every single snap. And the interesting thing about that is so if the Saints want to line up with their full complement of weapons along the offensive line, you're going to see left tackle Teron Armstead, Andrews Pete at left guard, center would be Max Unger, right guard would be Larry Warford, and Ryan Ramchek would be the right tackle. And again, you're, we're dealing with the Wednesday report here, so this is going to be quickly outdated as information is released today, but regardless, Every week we take a peek at Pro Football Focus's blocking advantage metrics. And according to them, the Saints have the worst matchup on the weekend by far in both run blocking and in pass blocking. And Ben, my guy is Andrews Pete. If I'm looking for somebody that's the weak point, whether he be at guard and especially at tackle on that side with Brandon Graham. That's that's <clears throat> that's my guy. That's who I'm trying to go after. So even when guys kick in, Michael Bennett, you know, he'll he'll kick in or Timmy Jernigan working against him. Jernigan's been effective. Jernigan has been special when he wins immediately. He can get bogged down a little bit. But when he hits that first step and he gets off, whoo. I'll put it this way. Jernigan's flexibility, I think, is weaker than it was in the past. I don't think that's just confirmation bias of the fact that like you would expect to do with the hernia to not be as bendy through the spine, like er- <laughs> uh, but I think he literally has some loss flexibility. I think that's legit. That's going to affect his ability to anchor and sit against the run, right? It's right. going to affect his ability to take on power from weird angles and to maintain his positioning. So he's weaker against the run. He's near liability territory at this time, but honestly, it's the run game and you can fix it. I don't really care. After watching Haloti Nada and, 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 and Trayvon Hester and T.Y. McGill and Bruce Hector and whoever else has been lined up next to Fletcher Cox, pass rush. Watching Timmy Jernigan is like I it's it's like he's the best player I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm, I'm like I like tears. The first step quickness is that much more magnified when you watch him juxtapose those other guys. He uses his hands yeah. like actually like as weapons. Oh, it's, it's it's extraordinary. It's a sight to behold. It's sublime. Jernigan obviously Jernigan's absolutely a big piece, and we've been talking about this during the whole carousel. Just in terms of getting another body in the rotation means you just minimize bad reps for the other guys. Like everybody's fresher when it comes to the fourth quarter, so you're not taking plays off and obviously Philadelphia's really struggled with fourth quarter defense this year so your pass rush is more active because everybody's taking less snaps and then Jernigan in and of himself is just a simply more dynamic rusher dynamic penetrator than anything Philadelphia's had deep uh, interior penetration is going to be important because if our goal is to get Breeze off of his spot and force him up into the pocket you need to maintain rush lane integrity so as to ensure that Breeze can't just hitch 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 and then either take a free four yards up the middle just a little scramble and slide or hang out there, which I think what you'll see Philadelphia do is they'll do what they typically do, two three techs, two nine techs in, in Jim Schwartz's wide nine, and then they'll just leave a linebacker in the middle. Often Camus Grugier Hill, if it's nickel, which it probably will be, then it's going to be Jordan Hicks. Uh, and, and what that allows you to do is, number one, it allows you to wall off shallow crossers right away, which is how Breeze wants to get rid of the ball quickly. He wants shallow crossers. So you need to find a way to cover Alvin Kamara without using your linebacker who's going to stay in the middle, which probably means Malcolm Jenkins, which probably means Alvin Kamara has a good game, but we'll get there. Leaving your linebacker in the middle allows you to wall off a quick shallow crosser. Breeze can't make that throw. And then if he has to climb up, Max Unger's probably already slid to his side to help. So there's no Unger 
tagging the linebacker. Now you've got a green dog blitz. You've got a free opportunity to go up there and hit Breeze because he's not making a linebacker miss. Let's talk about two key matchups and two key situations, offense versus defense. We're going to have to look at third down and red zone to highlight a couple points so we can talk about Kamara. We can talk about Michael Thomas and whatnot. The red zone for the Saints ranks fourth in conversions and scoring touchdowns when they get there. The Eagles are the top ranked. Yes, sir. Yeah, buddy. In in the last three games, they're tied for second. On third down, the Saints ranked sixth. The Eagles have the fifth best third down defense. In the last three, Ben, 22.58% tops in the league, fourth in turnover frequency. The Bears were five and six. Five of 16 against them. This third down defense has been excellent. So who are they looking for on third down? I think it's obvious. It's Michael Thomas, it's Alvin Kamara. What, in the red zone? The number two and the number four targets in the red zone, league-wide, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, which is crazy. Ah. They have a 58% market share on the Saints for red zone targets. On third down, they have a 46% market share. Alvin Kamara... Has 11 conversions, 21 of 27 for 170 yards. Michael Thomas has 23 conversions. That's second in the league. 30 of 37 caught for 341 yards in the red zone. Michael Thomas, second in targets with 26, like I said, 26 targets, 22 catches. That's first in the league. 84.6% catch percentage in the red zone, tied for second with guys over 10 targets. Seven touchdowns is tied for fifth. Alvin Kamara in the red zone, 25 targets. That's fourth again. 20 catches. That's second. 80% catch percentage, three touchdowns. They're like read one and read two. Like, you have to be able to stop those guys. Yeah, and we've talked about the shotgun offense is the quick game for uh, the Saints. In the red zone, it's 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 patently unfair. Like, it's just very irritating. Yeah. It's, listen, we're going to leave Drew Brees in shotgun. We're going to have three receivers over there, two receivers over here. You guess where the ball's going to go. And then you see if you can beat it because yeah. you can't right. because Breeze has such a fast process in terms of like, you know, we talk about what release speed is. Release speed isn't like how quickly you throw the football. It's how quickly you decide to throw the football, activate your process and how little you tip off your hand mm. in that initial stage. And then how quickly you release the football. There's like four steps to it. Right. And Breeze is just wicked. I mean, yeah. it's just. Like it, 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 it's veteran. It's polished. It's naturally gifted. It's everything. It's it, it's the perfect intersection of talent and and mechanical work and experience. Where he's just so quick getting the ball out when he's working short game. And then his accuracy is pinpoint. We've said he struggled with accuracy a little bit in the last four weeks, but still we're talking about a guy who can absolutely thread a needle. You saw him do it against Philadelphia about nine thousand times. Right. It was probably his most accurate game of the season in terms of just. Man coverage, I have half a man, I'm going to hit half a man, like just perfectly. So when you're in the red zone, it's simply, we're going to run curls. We're going to run a spacing concept. We're going to make, like your your corner here is either going to open his hips to this curl route or he's going to open his hips to this flare route. Whichever one he doesn't open his hips to, we're going to thread the ball right there and dare him to get back and make a play. And 99 corners can't do it. And that's why this red zone offense is... Very effective, and Philadelphia's red zone defense has been good, but it's going to be very hard to stop this red zone offense because it's simply, they're going to put you in athlete-on-athlete situations, and they have the best ball distributor in the league. We talk about the Eagles, how they split up their field, and they'll have zone beaters on one side, they'll have man beaters on the other side. So the Saints will come out with those zone beaters on the left side. On the right side, you've got what Alvin Kamara releasing it to a slop route, that option route, and you've got Michael Thomas running a corner route. It's a pain. It's annoying. 
It's annoying to deal with. It's such a dynamic offense. They do so many different things in the red zone. It's not just that. They'll bring in Taysom Hill, too, and they'll do a bunch of different things. And he'll throw a pop pass. Don't even talk to me about Taysom Hill. I, I refuse to talk about Taysom Hill. The dynamic that he brings is a pain in the butt for any offense. I don't care. Like, people make fun of it because it's not that good, and he's not that good, and he doesn't bring NFL-level running skills or passing skills, but he does just enough to be a pain in the butt for defensive coordinators. So I just want to make that point. He's not good. It's a pain in the butt. I spent three minutes... <laughs> trying to figure out how Drew Brees threw the interception he threw against the Steelers. And it wasn't him. King realized it was Taysom Hill. I hate Taysom Hill so much, okay? Yeah. He's the worst. Bad. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we talk about taking one defender and making him wrong yeah. in regards to the Eagles offense. The Saints red zone offense is taking one defender and making him wrong. They do it, obviously, like, you know, all through the, the field. Every team does. But when they get down into the short areas to let Breeze distribute the ball quickly, prevent pressure from arriving, simplify the choices, and, and, and expose quick space with athletes, it's there's the, the corner. I'm going to make him wrong. There's the interior linebacker, right? It's like angle routes. Like you said, the slop route, slot option. There's follow routes. Just take a guy, put him in conflict, make him look like an idiot. You good, sweetheart? Yeah, no, I'm good. I just uh, I got a message from somebody, and, and <laughs> it's a, it says, "Who wants to die in Mobile?" And it's a uh, it's a thirty dollar it's a it's a keychain breathalyzer. And uh, my friend Bryce Rossler from uh, I was about to say, I, I, if I had one guess, it's Bryce. Well, Mark sent the the picture of the product, but Bryce chimed in with, "We can just save money and use the one in Mike's car, which is amazing." I don't have a breathalyzer in my car for. Yeah, I sure mean, you don't. I defied the odds. Anyway, Ben, sorry about that. Let's get to some over-unders here. We're not going to predict the game yet, but right now the line that I'm seeing, no free ads, the Eagles are underdogs by 7.5 points. The over-under is 51. Let's call it 29 to 22. Oh, somebody already did the math before the show. You could see me look over to the note uh, that I was making. Yeah, there. well, I also heard that there wasn't a six-second pause while you did the mental math. So yeah, way to, way to expose my process there. I'm 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 actually very good. Oh, at Oh no, maths. I'm sure when the listeners heard you uh, rattling off catch rate, success rate, and total yardage output for Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, they were like, "Bikes probably got this up in his head." <laughs> I'm just doing the math, man. It's all, it's all zeros and ones. Look, let's call it 29 to 22 just for these purposes. So the 29 would obviously be the Saints. And if there's any other points that you want to hit on with the Saints offense, you can put it under this umbrella. But do you go over under on the Saints scoring 29 points in this divisional round playoff game? You ready for this? It's really hard. Go. I don't think it's that hard. Oh, Ben's confident under. today. I know you're confident about this team right now, so I may have underestimated under. your hubris. Under. Say it again. Say it louder for the people in the back. Under. There's one very, very easy reason why under. Which is? Defenses don't give up 48 points crawl their way back into the playoffs, have a huge win, come into New Orleans, and then give up 48 points again. It just, yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I just simply, I, I, I have spent 17, 18 long and arduous weeks giving reasons for things. And like I said, I said, if they beat the Bears, I'm not betting against this team anymore. It's simply <laughs> we're at a point where you hear the way that this team talks about the Saints game. The offense is embarrassed by the seven-point output. The defense is embarrassed by the 48-point return. You've got more guys who are healthy. You've got a defense that's been playing significantly better football in recent weeks. You you mentioned how third uh, over the past three weeks, situationally, they've been so much stronger. They can get off the field on third down. They can force field goal attempts in the red zone. Yeah. This is a a Saints team team that 
in four of the last five weeks have been under 29 total points. Right. And I don't see this defense getting boat raced at all. I simply, I, I, it would shock me if a team that feels this underdog mentality so strongly and feels this sort of, you know, spoiler uh, sense so, so vividly and they want to defend their championship. Yeah. is going to let the number one seed who came out with the whole 225,000 Lombardi Trophy Bullocks who embarrassed them in week 11, the lowest point of their season, run them up again. I, I would be flabbergasted. That would be so out of character for what we've seen of this team over the past two years. So no, I'm under 29. And I, and I agree with some of that. And even like I'm comfortable with throwing out the 48-point performance from the Saints because things have changed so much for the Eagles defense and just – for the team in general, the offense is moving the ball, and, and, and well, they're going to move the ball a lot better than they did in the first one. We're going to talk about that in the preview show, so the defense won't be exposed as much. But again, the personnel has changed. The mentality of the team has changed. And I remember going into that game, and especially after the game, just being disappointed because the team wasn't fighting. We have seen this team fight a lot more. The effort is there. The mentality is there. The players have bought into the message that Doug Peterson has been giving them. They're now bucking against the media. They're an underdog again. They they know what they're there to do. They're not going to get embarrassed again, in my opinion. So I'm with you. And I think mm-hmm. I'm going to go under. So let's go under on 29 points there. We'll see what we predict for the Eagles offense against the Saints defense on the next show here on the Kissed and Solak show. Benny, any other points you want to hit before you say goodbye yeah. to the gentle listeners? Go ahead. Did I say the thing where if there's a fullback offset, the running power? No. What's that out of? As if they're in 21 personnel and they've got that little white fullback in there. What's his name? Zach Line. Zach Line offset, the running power, especially if they motion into it. Like if they bring a little zoom motion into the formation, they're doing that. They run with, they run with their fullback too. It's like, y'all just do everything. You pass with Taysom Hill. You run with your fullback. They're, and you have Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. They're, yeah, it's, a, it's really hard to prepare for. They have so many different personnel groupings. They're a really diverse yeah. team when it comes to that. If if it's middle of the field closed, then Breeze is throwing the Y cross. Um, <laughs> let's see what else. Well, they're going to see a lot of middle of the field closed from this Eagles defense. They run it to a top five frequency in the league. We'll see if that changes. Well, it's annoying because you look at a Y cross versus middle of the field closed and you're like, this shouldn't hit because there's a safety right in the middle of the field. And that's where the tight end or slot receiver is running. Problem is Breeze will just wait until he clears that guy. Yeah. So that whatever Breeze puts the football, he can put it so that the the crosser is between the safety and the football, and then it protects it from picks. Whereas if it was middle of the field open, while it might look open initially, the open field safety has an angle to affect the football. And so if it's middle of the field, if Breeze sees middle of the field close at the snap and he knows he has a wide cross, he will. He does not care what the linebackers will do. He'll just put it directly on top of them, which yeah. is amazing because people shouldn't have that level of accuracy. Yeah, okay, that's all my that's all my fun notes. Oh, oh. no, one more. Ooh. If it's twenty two, if it's twenty two personnel, they're gonna run the football. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. I have. I hope you know. Like, so I have like all my film notes, and then I like was like like I'll have a play, and I'll have a whole paragraph, and then like I'll have a line with no like timestamp where I'll just bold it, and I'll just write a sentence that's like a very bold claim, and those are the ones that I scroll through for this. It's so, like ninety percent of them I say during the show because they matter, but then there are these claims like I don't even remember making that are just sitting there, so I just read them out at the end of the show, and if they hold true, sweet. That's funny because that's kind of how I do my, my scouting evaluations. I'll go through and I'll have like, I don't know, 50 lines of notes and like every sixth or seventh line, I'll write like a definitive statement about like a certain quality and then I'll see if it holds up over time. And that's kind of what you're doing with that. That's, that's the thing. Like I'll be like, it'll be like the first half of a game. Yeah. And I'll have a note that's like, I, I was against like the Texans. I think I had a note where I was like, 
off its 13 personnel to running the football 100% of the time. I'd watch like 20 snaps of the yeah. offense. But then you put like, like a question no mark and you circle it. You're like, let me dial back to this. <laughs> right. <laughs> Make yeah, sure yeah. this holds up because you're seeing a trend. But Ben, all right. We fit all of our notes. We know what we got coming up next. You want to say goodbye to the gentle listeners that have been so great to us this year. We have over 700 reviews or ratings. I always call them the wrong thing. We have 700 over, we have 703 ratings, which Mike is more than 700 and is more than the 600 we had in like week 13, which is bananas. <laughs> and we're very, and, and we have, we have 703 ratings. We have 694 five star ratings, which is just nuts, right? Like that. <laughs> this, that's like Drew Brees' completion percentage. It's just unbelievably effective. And somehow has been sustainable throughout the entirety of the year, right. which is crazy. Exactly. And so if you have not yet given us a five-star rating or if you have given us a, a lower-star rating and you want to change it to five stars because you really like today's episode, go ahead and do the thing. Uh, over 700 five-star ratings and the Eagles will beat the Saints. I don't make the rules. It's just what was told to us by iTunes. Uh, <laughs> and if you go ahead and you leave a review as well, I was reading through some of them. They're still so funny. Uh, but we haven't read any of them because the Eagles keep winning. And so we have no airtime to fill. And there's so many of them. So what I suggested to Ben was for in the off season, whenever that is. That we're going to do like an iTunes review show, and we're also going to reach out for you guys for a special thing that we're going to do, where we're going to need your, we're going to need you to interact with us on Twitter or send us emails. I think you're going to like it, so we're going to do a whole show mm-hmm. dedicated to you, gentle listeners, to show our appreciation. Mike's really excited about his special thing. Anyway, so <laughs> go ahead. Well, we'll there'll be a show where we read out uh, reviews. They're hilarious. Um, yeah. They insult me a lot. Uh, but it's okay. I have a great time. It's a fun <laughs> podcast. Uh, so yeah, go ahead, leave a rating, leave a review on whatever app you listen to your podcast to. We have questions. If it's not iTunes, yeah, go ahead and do it. Like that means so much to us, just from a, a listener perspective and hearing what you guys enjoy. And then it also helps us on those apps as well, which other people use. So thank you for that. This was Saints offense, Eagles defense, Eagles offense, and Saints defense will be coming at you on Friday. Not entirely sure as of the time right now because my schedule is ridiculous, but that podcast will be coming out to you on Friday. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL, K-I-S-T. We will catch you guys tomorrow. We all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to The Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.